Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Bernie, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. How about them Cowboys? Yeah. So we won Oklahoma, and it was state, and it was state. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Colby, happy early Thanksgiving. Recording this on the Wednesday prior, but uh, I love Thanksgiving. Christmas is my by far my favorite, but I, I am one of those that likes to show Thanksgiving its respect before moving on to Christmas. Uh, how are you doing today? Doing great. It is Thanksgiving Eve. We are going to Tulsa to spend some time with my wife's family, and then we're going to do uh, Thanksgiving with my family this weekend. So we'll have basically Thursday through we're doing Thanksgiving with my family Sunday. So we'll still have leftovers Monday. So, I mean, that's probably going to be five straight days where I'm having some combination of Turkey, ham, mashed potatoes, corn, the fixings, rolls, whatever else you can throw in there. Just the normal Thanksgiving stuff, but I'm not a casserole guy. So that's off. That's often kind of a controversial opinion, but I'm, I'm the weirdo that likes separate foods and, casseroles for the most part thanksgiving casseroles don't really do it for me so i don't know what side of the fence you fall on there yeah i'm not i'm i never have been either i've recently come around to green bean casserole it's it's good um out but i'm like you i'd rather have you know my my main course and my sides i don't i don't need any casseroles i'm i'm, I'm just like you not stuffing not my thing either just i'm kind of out on that i think one of my most controversial takes back in my radio days was that green bean casserole is just not it's it's it gets talked about every year i hear it on podcasts i hear it on the radio and i've tried it i've tried multiple different versions none of none of them have been any good at all and everyone can tweet me how bad of an opinion that is and i still won't be able to see it because i'm still locked out of twitter so uh go ahead tweet me all of all of your thoughts about how bad my thanksgiving takes are because i will not see them uh, speaking of, I did ask for Twitter questions, so I will, I will have to read them to you since you're still locked out of your, your Twitter account. What, any plans on getting it back? Or are you just going to float around, let it float around in the ether for a while? I guess I need to reach out to support again. I haven't gotten anything back and that was, it's been a full week now, I think. Um, I can see like when somebody direct messages me, I can see, uh, the direct message in my email. It's like, Trey Brewer messages me, says that they're going to uh, Stillwater from Nebraska on Friday. Is there anything going on Friday besides the basketball game? Um, I don't really know. I wouldn't imagine on a Black Friday. Uh, probably go somewhere and watch the Dolphins-Jets game that afternoon at Eskimo Joe's maybe and just have a good time. But, um, yeah, if you direct message me, I can see it in my email. But that's about the only interaction I can have via Twitter. right? And I can't respond. I can only read it. So that doesn't do me a lot of good until we get on the podcast. Yeah, so... We'll get to some Twitter questions. We'll do our normal thing as we preview Oklahoma State and BYU. A chance to make it to the Big 12 championship game for the second time in three years. It's been really just a roller coaster of a season. But um, first, let's hear from Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. I was recently you know, adding to my Christmas list, hopped on there, found a few good items for my wife, Sydney, to buy me. So uh, be sure to check out Chris's. It is holiday season. Get your Christmas shopping done early. And always shop at Christie's University Spirit. All right, Colby, home game against BYU. You and I picked Oklahoma State to win nine games this year. Uh, this was not the journey we thought they would take, but here they are. And um, it's going to be 
it's going to be interesting, right? Because Texas plays on Friday. Oklahoma State will know the situation when that game kicks off. Uh, I think that's pretty fortuitous, Colby. I, there's two ways to look at it. One, it, it it builds the pressure if Texas wins, so you know you have like you know if you win, you're in. You could also view that as a good thing. It clears your mind. Uh, you're not left to wonder. Uh, what do you make of that? Just the fact that they're going to have a really good idea what their odds are of making it after, you know, Texas plays Friday and OU plays Friday too. They could, they could lose with how inconsistent they've been. Yeah. And the smallest point spread of those three games, TCU, Oklahoma, Texas, Texas tech and BYU, Oklahoma state, the smallest point spread by a good bit is TCU and Oklahoma. OU's a 10 point favorite in that one at home. Texas is a 14 point favorite at home against Texas tech. And then Oklahoma state is a 17 point favorite at home against BYU. I, as a fan, really like that Texas plays Friday night so that you'll already know. I mean, we'll know when we go to bed Friday if Saturday is a win and in scenario or if it's going to get goofy and we're going to have to calculate uh, what happens if XYZ, you know, every which way goes down. So um, as a fan, I love it for the team. I think it probably simplifies things. You, you go in and assuming Texas gets the job done, you don't have to have these lingering thoughts in the back of your head like, well, what if something goes down and these other teams lose? And it's just less to think about. It's more clean. So I kind of like the way that it's worked out in that perspective for Oklahoma State. Yeah, me too. And boy, it'll be a long wait if, you know, Texas were to lose, Oklahoma State wins. Then you're sitting around till 7 o'clock for the Kansas State-Iowa State game and you're, you're scoreboard watching. That would be – that would make for a long Saturday. You might go through a lot of leftovers in the fridge just waiting for that game to start. What, what do you think the spread is on that one? K-State at home hosting Iowa State. Oh, I think I think my dad might have given this away. Are they 10-point favorites? All right. Shout out to Mike. They are 10-point favorites at home. So no single-digit spreads in any of the four games that have real significance for the Big 12 championship game in the final week. Um, that That's kind of... I don't know. I won't say it takes some of the intrigue out of it because it does set up the possibility for a big upset. But how much crazier would this be week be if three of those four games had you know point spreads under a touchdown and we're all expected to be really close this, this feels like it could just be a very chalky weekend which kind of takes some of the fun out of it but since you're the one that's going to win the tiebreaker i would just assume all the fun be taken out of it everything goes chalk all the double digit favorite wins to favorites win and oklahoma state goes to arlington Yep, and obviously all eyes will be on Ollie Gordon. I think that's the the main talking point from Oklahoma State's perspective. He's tied for the national lead with a 1,414 yards rushing. Uh, this week he was named one of the top 10 semifinalists for the Doak Walker Award. Goes to the nation's top running back. He's a four-time Big 12 Offensive Player of the Week. And I said it last week, Colby, I mean, you got to go. You got to start in the 1980s for me to when you start talking about best running backs to play at Oklahoma State. I, I love Chuba. His year was even more explosive um, in terms of the total number. Now he started out as the bell cow and Ollie didn't. Uh, I just think Ollie, to me, it's been somewhat more impressive, if that makes sense. I don't know how you, how to quantify that or speak to that, but uh, he's had a memorable year, and I think he has a real chance to win the Doak Walker Award on Saturday. He, he has more competition than I really realized, Colby. I didn't realize the running back at Texas Tech was as close as he was, um, but the name recognition, I think, is there with Ollie more so than the guys around him. It would it would be far more concerning if he was going up against an Alabama or Ohio State running back, but he's not. So I think he has a real chance to to take claim that to that award on on Saturday. 
Yeah, that's another thing that's important for Oklahoma State on Friday night is that Texas and that defensive front at Texas shut down Taj Brooks. He is the nation's third leading rusher behind Allie Gordon and Omarion Hampton. And by the way, can, can we talk for one second about how insane it is that 11 games have been played this year? And Ollie Gordon and Omarion Hampton have each run for exactly 1,414 yards and 15 <laughs> touchdowns. They've got the same number of touch, touchdowns as well. Uh, let's look at the receptions. Ollie is 29 for 262 and a touchdown through the air. And Hampton is 24 for 204 and a touchdown through the air. So right now, a slight advantage goes to Ollie in the statistical category. But North Carolina has gotten a lot of pub with Drake May. They've had some kind of marquee matchups. Um, and they're 8-3 and three as well. So I, I really don't know. I, I don't think that Todd Brooks will be in there because Oklahoma State and North Carolina have both had much better teams. I think it's going to come down to Ollie Gordon and Omarion Hampton. And this last week um, could be pretty significant to decide that. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that if Ollie could go for another 200-plus and toss a couple of touchdowns in there, that would go a long way to elevating him over Omarion Hampton to win that award. Yeah, it's wild that he only has 14 less carries than Hampton, too. You would think it would be way more drastic in, in Hampton's favor. But I do think it's important to factor in not just team success. I don't mean to make it as simple as wins and losses. But you think about where Oklahoma State was in September without Ollie being the bell cow. And North Carolina, I'm sorry, they have a top five pick in Drake May at quarterback. Like, is Hampton really the reason they're eight and three? You can absolutely say Ollie Gordon is the reason OSU is. I think if if their stats end up being as equal as they already are, then I got to think voters will take that into account. But who knows? Voting for these awards is pretty pretty fickle. But I, I factor that in personally when I'm looking at national honors, national awards. Uh, what did what did this player do to elevate his team, and what would they look like without him? Uh, I think in North Carolina, you go, oh well, they still have Drake May, and they'd still probably be an eight nine win team in the ACC. Oklahoma State looked like they were destined for about three wins before Ollie took off. Yeah, I completely agree. I, my vote would undoubtedly go to Ollie Gordon. Um, I don't have confidence that voters across the country. I don't have confidence that voters on the East Coast where there are a lot of big markets in ACC areas. Um, I don't have confidence that those voters are going to look a thousand miles to the West to Ollie Gordon and say, yeah, let's, let's give it to the guy from Oklahoma state. I just, I, I've gotten very pessimistic with national college football um, audiences and awards and Oklahoma state players getting the recognition that they deserve nationally, because we've seen it time and time again, that that has not been the case. Now I do think that Oklahoma state um, and Ollie Gordon has a much better chance to explode in a game on Saturday where Oklahoma State is a big favorite against an inferior opponent. North Carolina is a two-and-a-half-point favorite on the road at NC State. That game has a point total of 55. Let me find Oklahoma State again. Oklahoma State's a 17-point favorite with a point total of 56. So um, I really think that as much as you don't want Ollie to just get leaned on and, and be worn down for Texas, if – He's not showing any signs of, of truly hurting, and, and he seems to be doing okay physically. I think this could be a 25 to 30 carry game for Ollie Gordon to just really stuff the stat sheet because um, that stuff that stuff matters. Winning a Doak Walker Award, the Blitnikoff Awards that have been won at Oklahoma State, those matter on the recruiting trail. Whenever you go talk to a young man, you talk about Ollie Gordon winning the Doak Walker here, you could do that. You could be the best back in the country at Oklahoma State. Those things matter, and I think Oklahoma State will try to get it for him. So um, I, I think Ollie Gordon has a good chance to go over 200 on Saturday. 
Yeah, and I, I think it's a good sign that he's also a semifinalist for Walter Camp Player of the Year. Um, I didn't see. Let me double check and make sure. I don't know if Hampton is a semifinalist. He might be. I'm having to expand the list here. Uh, doesn't look like it. So I think that's a good sign that that I think Ollie's got the inside track to the Doak Walker, considering his main competition's not is not a Walter Camp Player of the Year semifinalist. That just kind of shows you where a player is viewed nationally. Uh, so that to me, that's a great sign. Yeah, I like it a lot. That's good for Ollie. Uh, I was trying to look here, and I'm, I'm not able to pull it up quickly enough. Here we go. Uh, rushing defense. I just want to see where BYU ranks nationally. Um, it didn't even populate when I did a command F, so they may not be on the list. Yeah, they're not in the top 50, that's for sure. So um, BYU well down the list in terms of rushing defenses. I think Ollie could go absolutely bananas. Carson, they're not inside the top 100. Let me go to one more page. This is great podcasting <laughs> here. We're doing it. Uh, 109th in the country. BYU is their opponents average 4.9 yards per rush, 177.3 rushing yards per game. And they've given up 13 rushing touchdowns on the ground in 11 games. So uh, Ollie barring any type of injury is going to feast on these Cougars on Saturday. Yeah, I will say, I mean, BYU has been one of the worst teams in the big 12, obviously I think it's them in Houston and Cincinnati kind of near the bottom. They put up a pretty good fight against Oklahoma. Even really, I thought they mostly outplayed Oklahoma. They just kept having just critical turnovers. I mean, I think I think 21 of OU's points came off turnovers. Obviously, the 100-yard interception return swung that game completely uh, with a backup quarterback, no less. Um, they're, they're not dead yet. I mean, they're playing for their bowl life, and they took – an Oklahoma team that was coming off one of their most impressive performances of the year, just blowing the doors off West Virginia, who's still a very good football team. Uh, BYU had them on the ropes. I know it was in Provo and it was a morning kick and 10 a.m. local time. And it's their only opportunity to play big, bad Oklahoma. But, and I know the, the point spread for Oklahoma state is 17, 17 and a half, depending on where you look. But that was interesting to me that BYU was able to put up a fight. Yeah, we were half watching it in the golf cart last week, and and OU was a um, they were a, a pick six, a hundred yard pick six away from losing that game to BYU. I just don't know. I mean, they put so much into that one. It was at home. It was the big stage. It was their chance to upset Oklahoma on their home field. And yes, they still have something to play for with the bowl game. But I, I just I think it's hard to summon all that energy again to go across the country on on. Thanksgiving week, come to Stillwater in what is a really tough place to play. I, I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm a little bit too, if you want to say, arrogant, confident, whatever you want to call it, after the UCF game. And then last week they, they flirted with letting that game against Houston get away from them. But they righted the ship, and I just think Oklahoma State is so much better than BYU. And, and I truly – I assign Boone Pickens Stadium a value. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't want to put an exact number on it, but I, I really think it's one of the toughest places – in the country to play. I think it's probably the toughest place in the big 12 to play. And I don't think BYU is, is ready for what boom picking stadium is going to be on Saturday afternoon. I think 17 is a good spread. Um, I think if Oklahoma state plays poorly, then they could win by 10 to 17. I think if Oklahoma state plays well at all, that they could just absolutely blow the doors off BYU, especially in the second half. And it could end up looking kind of like what the Cincinnati game looked like. I sure hope so. Um, on the flip side, Aiden Robbins, their running back from BYU, kind of broke out last week against Oklahoma. I mean, 
his best game of the year. He had 182 yards on 22 carries. Uh, BYU really struggled to run most of the year, um, but they were able to run in Oklahoma, and we all know Oklahoma did a decent job of bottling up Ollie. I know he still got to 137, but really limited the big, huge, explosive plays that he's become accustomed to making. Uh, I will say, you know, the, the difference in this Oklahoma State defense in the second halves versus the first halves has been remarkable, and they have been they have been liable to give up a, a big run, like I saw against UCF. So, if by BYU is going to have success, Colby, it's likely going to be through Robbins, not through the air, because that quarterback is a backup. Uh, he obviously did struggle. They BYU had real success running the football all the way into the red zone, and then they threw that silly pass for the the pick six. So. I think that's something Oklahoma State's defense is going to have to be cognizant of is they're going to have to be prepared to stop the run. And at times this year, they they haven't been able to do that. Yeah, throughout most of the year, I, whenever I was pulling up uh, BYU's rushing defense to see what kind of day Ollie was going to have, I did notice that as they're sitting at 109th, three spots above them are our beloved Cowboys at 106th in the country. Oklahoma State has given up 16 less rushing yards on the season than BYU has. Um, some of that ha- has been big plays getting gashed. We know a couple of weeks ago against UCF, it really got away from them. They struggled with the zone read. I think you're going to see a lot of different looks from the run game against BYU. I I don't think that they're going to do a ton through the air. And if they do, I think it's going to be set up massively with the run. And then they try to trick you like we see uh, kind of a poor man's Kansas State throughout the years where they, they set the pass up with the run and then they get somebody breaking free down the middle of the field. I think that's BYU's path to success. But I also think it depends on how this game starts. I think if Oklahoma State gets out, goes down, scores on their first drive, gets a stop, goes and scores again. Now, I, I think BYU's totally cooked at that point. They're not coming back from behind on Oklahoma State. I think this is a game where if BYU gets out in front, they can milk the clock and they can try to run the ball. But I still don't think that they're good enough to, to hold a lead, even if they get one early like Houston did. So um, there are scenarios where BYU could keep this game close and where Oklahoma State could get a little sloppy. But even with some bad some bad turnovers the last couple of weeks uh, and some problems, I think Boone Pickens Stadium solves a lot of those things. And I think Oklahoma State just knows what's on the line. And uh, the Big 12 championship, I think, is a much bigger motivator than BYU's bowl game. And I think they just had to do a lot to compete with Oklahoma last week, and then they end up losing. That's very deflating. So there are scenarios where BYU can keep this close. Um, I'll be surprised if any of those come to fruition. Uh, yeah, me too. And I think we mentioned last week, you know, I, the only way BYU is in this game is if they jump out to an early lead like Houston and UCF did. Um, and I think that's important to note considering OSU has been falling behind early in games like this. But Marshall Scott posted in the chamber, this is fascinating to me. We know that Brian Nardo has been great with second half adjustments. We We talked about that extensively. OSU has given up. 175 points in first halves of games this season. Again, this is per Marshall Scott of Pistols Firing. They've given up 119 points in the second halves of games this season. That's about 50, 56 less points given up in the second half as opposed to the first. So you, you'd like, obviously, to play consistent defense in both halves, Colby, but I think it shows you the adjustments. Uh, you know, and teams are going to teams are going to run stuff they didn't show on film all week. BYU did that to Oklahoma last week. That's just part of football. And the name of the game is making adjustments. And that's where, even if this defense does give up a few big plays to BYU, I think I, I trust them to really put the clamps on them uh, as the game progresses. Yeah, good stats there from from Marshall. That's It's a stark contrast. I mean, that's nine touchdowns different in the second half over the course 
of 11 games. I would have thought that it would maybe would have even been more stark than that. Uh, more of a difference because we have seen some pretty disastrous first halves on that side of the ball, but some of the second halves this season have been masterpieces, right? The second half against Arizona state masterpiece, the second half last week against Houston masterpiece, um, pretty good in the second half against Oklahoma as well. So yeah, the, the second halves have been good. Nardo has been good with the halftime adjustments. I, I will say the, the way that Oklahoma state can run away from a team is to get off to the hot start and then play from ahead. And whenever you're struggling in the first halves defensively, it's hard to get out and run away from teams. So I, I would like to see that this Saturday against BYU because you also want this defense to go into the Big 12 championship game if they get there with some confidence, some momentum, and feeling like they can go out and stay in that game early with Texas. Um, and, and I know I'm getting way ahead of myself here, but you play well against BYU. <laughs> BYU, you put it together for two halves, you build up that confidence, and then hopefully you can carry that over the next week uh, against Texas. So that that would be the goal, I think, for Oklahoma State this week is to come out and play a complete game defensively and not let BYU score 14, 17, 21 points in the first half. Yeah, and I'm I'm curious to see health-wise if any receivers are able to come back. We saw Jaden Bray very limited. He only played a few snaps, had one target, and it ended up being a touchdown last week. I'm curious to see if if he's able to get more snaps. I, I don't expect Talon Shetron to be back. He's still bank beat up. But um, past that, the offensive line, I thought, played really well last week. You you referenced that uh, extensively. Uh, so I'm curious to see how healthy they're getting here for the last game of the year. It's You're, you're never going to be 100% at the end of the year, but that's something worth monitoring. I You know, Dave Hunzacker and crew do such a great job in the pregame, letting you know who's in, who's out. That's something to monitor, uh, especially – Ollie Gordon wearing a boot after the game said he would play. Uh, it, there's no question he's beat up. He's hobbled off several times the last few weeks. So that that's something that could you know make this game a little trickier than most if if guys over the course of the game have to step out and, and aren't able to return. And OSU's pretty beat up on offensive line, receiver, and and running back right now. Uh, yeah, no doubt they are. It was nice to have Jaden Bray back a week ago because Mike Gundy has talked about it's much tougher to practice whenever you have just so many uh, guys limited at receiver. It's hard for guys to, to go as hard as possible. And Jaden Bray did have just the one catch last week, but I talked about it earlier in the week uh, for anybody who didn't listen. That was such a good route. So often you see guys who are running uh, those routes up the sideline basically pin themselves to the sideline and they don't give their quarterback anywhere to throw the ball. And if you go back and watch that route from Jaden Bray, he ran it far enough away from the sideline that he gave Alan Bowman a nice little window there to throw that ball into uh, in between the defender and the sideline. So a great route from Jaden Bray. And then in that same receiver position where he was rotating some with Leon Johnson, Leon Johnson gets the touchdown catch where he goes up uh, and mosses the guy in the end zone. So being able to rotate those two guys out there, I think is beneficial. It's good for keeping guys fresh later in games. So the more receivers you can get back, the better. And yeah, Carson, the offensive line has had some inner, uh, pardon me, some injuries, but they've been pretty good this season since the non-con. Uh, and I know Ollie's a big part of it, but the pass blocking has been pretty exceptional for Alan Bowman. He has not looked like he's had one second to release the ball. He hasn't looked like he's running for his life back there. When he has to scramble and throw it away, he does. I think the offensive line has probably not gotten quite enough credit with Brooks getting hurt and guys getting shuffled around. Dalton Cooper has come in and done a great job. Mikulski's been great. Uh, Springfield has been really good. That, that's been a good unit this year, a better unit 
than in years past. Um, I, I think that um, I don't think BYU presents a lot of problems. I think Texas could up front, but we can cross that bridge whenever we get to it because Oklahoma State's offensive line deserves credit for what they've been able to do over the last couple of months. Are you on mute or did my headset break? Uh, you're good. I was on mute. So, no, it's, that's a good breakdown. And you're my hey, look, I think, you know, it's pretty obvious right now who this team is, talking about Oklahoma State. It's very obvious what can get them beat. <laughs> We've seen the blueprint in uh, back-to-back weeks. One of them happened to be a win. One of them happened to be a blowout loss. I think we know. And my last note before we move on to, you know, uniforms and, and, all, and our toast of the week and things of that nature I thought it was really encouraging because, again, I think people misconstrued my tweet when I was saying as OSU was making their huge comeback. Okay, you got me now? Sorry, I had a microphone malfunction. There he is. There he is. Okay, uh, let me restart from what I was saying. Uh, I think at this point, everyone who watches Oklahoma State football knows what they are, knows how they're going to get beat. Uh, the blueprint was laid out back-to-back weeks. One of them happened to be a win against Houston. One of them happened to be a blowout loss. I think everyone knows what OSU has to do well. Uh, and I think the really encouraging thing for me, moving past Houston, going to BYU, Colby, is that this team, is, as I said, and I tweeted this, and I think people misconstrued it as OSU made their huge comeback, they're not built to play from behind. Uh, they're just not in terms of their offense. I mean, Alan Bowman playing from behind, dropping back every play. There's a reason they've only given up three sacks in Big 12 play. It's because they haven't been in those positions very much. UCF, really, in Houston, really the only times that's occurred. But what was really encouraging is that they kind of played their way out of it. They really proved me wrong in that aspect that they could play from behind. And the reason for that, almost exclusively, was Brennan Presley and just how exceptional he was, nearly breaking a school record, or nearly tying a school record, rather. Uh, that's encouraging for me, Colby, that if they do get behind in this game, that it's not as daunting as perhaps I may have perceived in the past because they've really found creative ways to get Brennan going in the passing game that seemingly are, you know, defensive proof or defense proof. Like they want to run zone, they want to run man, whatever. We're going to find a way to get him the ball. Yeah, I think the fact that it was against Houston, obviously you don't know how that translates to better competition, but it was uh, it was a stepping stone, I think, for Oklahoma State as a team that they were able to come back from a two-touchdown deficit in the middle of the second quarter, regardless of the fact that it was against Houston because the week prior it was against UCF. The weather played a huge factor, but you got down early and then you got rolled. And then the next week you get down early and you come back and you win relatively comfortably. Houston scored to make it a one-score game. You respond with, what, nine or ten plays, 78-yard drive. Uh, and you take the lead. So I think that was a, a big step for this Oklahoma State team to prove to, I mean, not to us, but to themselves, that if they get down by two touchdowns, no panic, we're good. Uh, Alan Bowman, constant positivity. That's what everybody says about him. He's just always positive, relentlessly positive. And you get down by two touchdowns, it's good to have that that calming presence in the huddle that's like, you know, let's just go get the next one. Uh, and that's what they did a week ago. So if it happens again this week, we've talked about some of the first quarter, first half, defensive struggles. And Carson, the big plays that Oklahoma State has given up this year, a lot of those have been in the first halves and early in games where it seems like Oklahoma State might be able to get out on top of somebody and then boom, 60-yard touchdown over the top. So if you can avoid some of that stuff, uh, that would sure be nice. But if you do give up a big play early, 
this is a team again that I think Oklahoma State could come back against. So um, I think this one sets up pretty well. It's just a matter of not letting the moment get in your head to where you don't play your best football because there will be a Big 12 championship berth on the line in all likelihood. So uh, don't let the moment get the best of you and, and go beat a bad team. Yeah, I think so. That's a good way to put it. Obviously, it's senior day. Uh, Alan Bowman petitioning for a seventh year. We'll have to wait on that. I saw Cam Rising, the the quarterback out of Utah, has already gotten his approved, maybe because he didn't play all all this season. Had a lot more time to get it. So it'll be interesting, Colby, to see who walks and who's able to get eligibility. I think we had a Twitter question about that, which we'll get to a little later. But I, I did find this fascinating. Bill Haston, who for, for me is become really an OSU historian. He's covered Mike Gundy in, in Oklahoma State for so long, does a really good job. He, when I worked at the Daily Ocali at Oklahoma State, he was a guy I tried to emulate because Bill is so thorough, so thoughtful, and, and really just so good at his job. It's, it's, it's crazy. I think, and plus, if you hear him on the radio, you heard him on this podcast, he's got really good opinions, and he, he just he has really good insight into Oklahoma State. And I, I hang on every word he writes about Oklahoma State because I, I have that much admiration for him. He wrote a really good column this week, Colby, petitioning that Oklahoma State name the field Mike Gundy Field at at Boone Pickens Stadium. I, I don't think we'll find anyone who would have a problem with that. I think maybe some people push back on the fact that he's still the coach. Uh, sometimes that can be awkward. Like they built a statue of Gary Patterson down in Fort Worth and they fired him. Uh, but Mike Gundy deserves it. I, I think that will happen when I'm not sure. But to me, that would be very fitting because he's not only been associated with Oklahoma State as a player and a coach for as long as he has, but he's won big. I think he will be a college football Hall of Famer, and I love this idea from Bill. He had quotes from Brandon Whedon and Dave Hunzacker supporting it as well. Yeah, Bill's great. Best of the best. Um, I think that that should happen the day that Mike Gundy retires. Like the day that Mike Gundy retires, they should announce Mike Gundy Field for eternity. I, I think it's just kind of weird and uncomfortable. And, and I don't know, whenever I watch uh, other teams and they'll say that, you know, playing on so-and-so field, so-and-so court, and that guy's still the head coach. It's just like, I, I don't know, for whatever reason, um, I just don't love that. But as soon as he's done, yeah, Mike Gundy field at Boone Pickens Stadium. W whenever you look back in 50 years, whenever people look back at this era of Oklahoma State football where – the Cowboys went from just kind of a, a bottom feeder, not really invested in the program, just really filling out the schedule for other uh, Big 12 teams like Oklahoma State was doing in the 90s. And then Les Miles kind of makes everybody believe it can be something. But then Mike Gundy and Boone Pickens are the ones who have elevated Oklahoma State really into a different stratosphere of uh, college football, just lore and, and where Oklahoma State exists in the hierarchy of college football. So, yes, having both of those guys recognized, I think, would be fantastic. But um, I think Mike Gundy, too, would tell you that maybe he doesn't want it named after him until he retires. I just, for whatever reason, I think that's more appropriate. But, yes, I think he absolutely deserves it. Yeah, my worry, though, is do you wait too long? I mean, I don't know. I just, I think sometimes we're in a hurry to honor someone after they're gone. You know, I think that that happens far too often. Um but no, I, I think Mike deserves it. They've already done that with Eddie Sutton Court. Uh, it makes makes perfect sense. And I, I think they'll do all the – I think Chad Weiberg gets it. I think Oklahoma State administration gets it. I think they'll do everything they can to honor Mike, whether that's a statue as well, Mike Gundy Field. I, that's all coming. And, I, again, I just continue to say this, this wild journey of a season has really 
resonated with me and I'm sure others that Oklahoma State's fortunate to have a coach like Mike Gundy who's been there this long tenured. So many coaches have come and gone since. I mean, think about it. Mike took over in 2005. Just think of how many different coaches have been in the Big 12 since then. It's crazy. Uh, the success that he's had is just crazy. For a school like Oklahoma State, I think we've – it's kind of how OSU basketball was when I was in college. Mid-2000s, we kind of just took that for granted and assumed it would keep going and going and going forever, even, even after Eddie Sutton left. I think we're kind of in that same position right now with Oklahoma State football with Mike Gundy, Colby, where I think a lot of people just assume with – Boone Pickens Stadium, facilities, things of that nature, that, oh, OSU is a football school now. They'll just hire someone, and it'll keep on rolling. There is absolute, and we've seen that with Mike Boynton. There are no guarantees that you're going to be a success and that you're going to keep the train rolling. Um, so I am I think this season, again, Colby, has really resonated with me of just how fortunate we've been for this long a period of time. He's, like the, I think, the third longest tenured in, in college football. It's Time flies, but, man, we're we're fortunate to have him. Yeah, and it might be uh, he might move up that list if Kirk Ferentz decides not to come back to Iowa. I, I imagine he's going to be mad at him and then come back for his $8 million, but we'll see. Um, yeah, and then next year, one of the other longest tenured coaches in the country will come to Stillwater and Kyle Whittingham. I, I just, Mike Gundy, I think this year, and, and your dad said it best, we've talked about it on this podcast, just cemented his legacy with Oklahoma State fans. He won the Bedlam game that he just absolutely had to win and, and he coached circles around the guy on the other sideline. It's been a big, big year for Mike Gundy after the way things ended a year ago and, and where we could have been looking at a scenario, Carson, just thinking big picture about the legacy of Mike Gundy. It's crazy how quickly things changed this season and how much it changed the narrative because we were talking at the end of September that 2021 was the outlier, right? And now you're looking at a period of time where you're now going to, in all likelihood, I don't want to count the chickens before they hatch, play for another Big 12 championship. And that just totally changes the narrative on what this season is, what Mike Gundy's career at Oklahoma State has been. You do it before OU and Texas leave the league. Um, you go in two of their last three years here in the league. I think Mike Gundy has just done a ton this year to remind everybody that um, he's been doing this for a very long time with a very high level of success at a place that had never really felt that, uh, 1945, notwithstanding, and he deserves recognition for what he's done for Oklahoma state. Absolutely. I think that's well said. Let's go to the Chris's university spirit uniform preview brought to you by Chris's university spirit Colby. Uh, where are you headed this week? It's a home game, final home game, homecoming. Uh, I've got my pick locked and loaded. If, if you want me to go first. Yeah, go ahead. I think, uh, you know, they've worn all black this season. They have not worn black, orange, black. It's for me, it's right there with all black and black, black, orange for my favorite home looks. They wore it in 2011 Bedlam famously. Um, I think they go Bob, black, orange, black. And I think they'll go with the brand. We haven't seen much of the brand all year, really. It's been Curse of Cowboys, a lot of Pistol Pete, not much brand. So I'll go black, orange, black with the brand. Solid look for me. I was planning to go black, orange, black with the brand. So I will mix it up and I will go black, orange, black with the Curse of Cowboys. They love the Curse of Cowboys. They've been using it a lot. Uh, I think orange shirts are almost a given for the final game of the season. I'll be very interested, um, Carson, to see how they handle senior day. There's so much weird eligibility with COVID years and things of that nature. Mike Gundy was on his, his radio show this week 
talking about Trey Rucker. And he said that he was having a conversation with Trey Rucker a couple weeks ago. And he told him he was coming back. And Mike's like, I thought your eligibility was up. And he's like, no, I got one more year of COVID. And uh, Mike was like, that was a surprise that he's getting Trey Rucker for another year. And he's going to come back. So I I don't know who's going to walk. I don't know who will be back. I don't know who, who won't. Uh, whenever I go look at people's bios now and it says senior, I'm like, okay, what does that mean? Does that mean your eligibility's up or no? Oklahoma State could probably have 40 guys walk Saturday or they could probably have 10 guys walk Saturday or anything in between. So uh, either way, I think that they'll be wearing orange shirts when they do it. Yeah, I mean, one of our questions was uh, about Brennan Presley. Does he have a COVID year? His his statistical year begins in 2020. That's that says COVID for me. I think he has an extra year should he choose to come back, even though he is a senior. So I think we're going to see a lot of that. I think this is the final year of that, of the COVID rule. So that, that is something worth monitoring. So we'll have to wait and see. Um, uh, Justin Southwell, our uniform expert, a uh, friend of the show, he put out images of the old school brand. And I kind of quote tweeted it and said, look, like, I was in favor of modernizing the brand when they did it. I thought it needed, uh, you know, modernized. But now that the uniforms have kind of gone more retro, traditional, 1980s style, I, I look at the old OSU brand, and to me, it's more recognizable, and it's definitely more cowboy-centric. Uh, would you be in favor of going back to the old brand or keeping it status quo? <sighs> Oh, it's a tough one. I, that is I, a tough you're one. lost for words. I, I really am. I, I, I almost spurted out stick with the new and then I started to picture the old and now I'm going back and forth. Oh, I don't know what to answer. Um, I guess that tells you that I love both and, and I wouldn't, wouldn't be totally upset either way since I, I can't come to a conclusion. I don't have a strong feeling on one or the other. I, I really do love both. I think, would it be crazy to have both in the rotation? Would that be crazy? Um, shoot. No, I mean, we had the Ed Hardy helmet not that long ago with a badge floating around. So they, they could go to two brands. Uh, I think it hurts you licensing wise. That, that might be, I don't know all those rules on licensing, but I don't know. I I'm certainly open to it. Yeah. I, I probably would be open to having both in the rotation. Uh, by the way, I just met Justin Southwell at the Bedlam game. He and his, nice. I, don't, I don't know if it's girlfriend, wife, uh, his came wife, down. Yeah. Yeah, his wife, they, they saw, uh, me and my wife sitting a little bit below him in the section beneath him and came down and introduced themselves and said, hi. So we've interacted on Twitter for years. It was nice to meet Justin. Yeah. Great dude. Great dude. Former, uh, walk on wide receiver at Oklahoma state. So, uh, former player and, uh, without further ado, let's get to the Yingling toast of the week. Yingling America's oldest brewery. Uh, you know, it's Wednesday before Thanksgiving. I'd be lying if I didn't acknowledge the, uh, traditional lager sitting right next to me uh, the original amber beer from america's oldest brewery be sure to check out some yingling these holiday season i can't think of much things that pair better with uh, the traditional lager colby than some turkey uh no no casseroles for you but maybe some mashed potatoes and gravy and you know some macaroni and cheese something of that nature yeah absolutely i love that um yeah i never did go out and buy my yingling with the golf winnings that I got to keep since nobody guessed our scores last week. So maybe I'll do that. <laughs> enjoy at my in-laws house this weekend, whenever we're doing Thanksgiving. Yeah. I'll tell you, tell your mom next time that she's hosting to just go buy some. That's what parents are for, right? They got to keep their fridge stocked. Yeah. You got a baby to worry about, you know, let, let, let grandma yeah. take care of that. And, and can I just call my parents out on this podcast for being selfish because they're not going to host 
a Big 12 championship watch party if Oklahoma State makes it. Can you believe that? Well, I can't believe that first and foremost. And I, I'm thinking of this selfishly because the, the one time I came over to hang out with you and your mom is when they got just shellacked by Kansas last year. I'm, a, I'm afraid I was thinking about my own attendance if, if you were to have people over and, and, and things of that nature. But yeah, she's the most loyal and true. She's got a host. What's up with that? Uh, they already bought tickets to the game, so they're going to be going to Arlington. I threw them under the bus there, and I, I, I kind of buried the lead. <laughs> well, that that really doesn't surprise me. They would not miss that. That's that's fantastic. Yeah, my dad was like, I can do one. I can do the bowl game or the Big 12 championship. I can't do both. And obviously, if you can go to the Big 12 championship, uh, you, you take that route. So, yeah, if Oklahoma State gets there, that's where they'll be. We'll be somewhere in Oklahoma City, I assume, watching that one. Uh, who's your toast for? Uh, toast of the week. Don't know if you saw this one coming, but I'm really proud of this one. Jalen Warren. Jalen Warren has really come on for the Pittsburgh Steelers to the extent that last week he was the Pittsburgh Steelers offense against the Cleveland Browns, one of the best defenses in the NFL, maybe the best defense in the NFL. He had nine rushes for 129 yards and a touchdown. His second straight week over 100 yards. This is despite still playing a 1B role behind Najee Harris. They fired their offensive coordinator, Matt Canada, earlier this week. The running backs coach is going to take over play calling duties. Hopefully, that will bode well for Jalen Warren leapfrogging Najee Harris, playing a larger snap share um, and getting a larger share of the running back work for Pittsburgh. But 88 yards three weeks ago on 11 carries, that's eight yards a carry. 101 yards two weeks ago on 15 carries with a touchdown. That's 6.7 yards a carry, and then 14.3 yards per carry last week, including a 74-yarder up the right sideline. He is explosive. He bounces off tacklers. He's everything right now for Pittsburgh that he was that year that he was in Stillwater with Oklahoma State. Uh, What he did for that season, that year, he was a special player. He had a special season. And he looks special right now in Pittsburgh. So I hope he just continues to get more and more run because he is so, so good, Carson. And if Pittsburgh would really just lean into him for the next two to four years as their alpha RB1, I think he could be one of those special guys that everybody wants to roster in fantasy football and is getting talked about all the time. So hopefully this is the beginning of the ascension for Jalen Warren to one of those running backs that we're talking about. Okay, is he going to get the contract? Because I think I think he very well could be that good. It, it's becoming even more obvious just how much he transformed OSU's season with how good he is already at the next level. I mean, it it reminds me so much of the Tony Pollard, Zeke Elliott situation where everyone's sitting there going, man, the backup is so much more productive, so much more efficient, so much better than the chubby, overweight, overpaid starter they have too much draft capital invested in. And I think that's the only reason those guys were getting more carries than their much better backup. So yeah, I mean, they've, They've claimed he was RB1 and he got less touches. Uh, let's let's see if getting rid of Matt Canada will help because Jalen Warren is a star. He is a star if they just give him the ball. You're right. I think that's a great toast. Um, uh, uh, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to switch gears unless you had something else to add, follow up with. Uh, I was going to make a Canada joke, but I don't even think it was funny. So you go. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, we've I've talked a lot on this show already in the past few weeks about Mike Gundy. And you and I have really discussed, debated – the merits of Mike changing course on NIL. A uh, really good article in The Athletic. Uh, some good quotes here from Mike Gundy. Quote, the portal and the NIL are extremely difficult for me. I was I was resenting both of them because my personal opinion is that it's not beneficial for young people, but I finally realized that it doesn't matter what I think. 
It's not like agreeing with the tax laws are. You have to pay whatever tax bracket you're in, whether you agree with it or not. That's a wild comparison, but you get the picture. Another quote from Mike Gundy, the portal really broke me when it first started three years ago because I took it personal. And then I realized that sometimes kids leave because they leave. They want to do something new. So I've now gotten over the personal side of the portal and I'm trying to adapt to the financial side of NIL. Gundy, and this is just the athletic writing, Gundy is candid that Stillwater isn't exactly swimming in big dollar NIL offers, but the capabilities are expanding and improving in part because he decided to become an ally instead of an obstacle, end quote. This, these quotes, Colby, really illuminate our speculation and really the results we've seen this season with Mike Gundy doing a complete 180. It's been a lot of talk. But I think we've seen that. I think you're going to see much better results in the portal moving forward now that he's on board. And I just want to give him a toast for not digging his heels in and adapting, because I do think that is one of the key elements of Mike Gundy's success. When I look back on his career, I think adapting is and really becoming a forward thinker is really a hallmark of his tenure. I think Dave Hunsucker's quotes about uh, Mike Gundy Field being named, he specifically gave Mike credit for really becoming one of the first coaches to use RPO. And I have brought this up many, many times. He was the first coach in the Big 12 to run no huddle. OU and Bob Stoops copied it with Sam Bradford. Zach Robinson was doing the check with me, no huddle offense with Larry Fedora when he brought it to Stillwater. Uh, He's been innovative and forward thinking his whole career. And I think that's a hallmark of his success. Now it's going to be a hallmark with NIL moving forward because that's what it takes to be successful. And I don't think Mike has ever gotten a proper enough credit for how innovative he's been. He's got a reputation for a lot of things. That needs to be more of a discussion when we look back on Mike Gundy because he has been a forward thinker. He's been staunch in other areas like NIL, but hey, I want to toast him for for changing his tune. Yeah, that's that's really good because um, we both were critical of Mike Gundy. I was very critical of Mike Gundy for a seeming inability to adapt and evolve with college football as NIL and the transfer portal became more of a thing. And to Mike Gundy's credit, he he realized it himself and he was able to make that switch, but he was able to do it in a way where he seemingly did not jeopardize the culture of Oklahoma State and everything else and the foundation that Oklahoma State football is built on, which is, you know, getting guys that work hard, um, that, that love football, that want to be out there day after day. And you, you can do that, and then you still have to have NIL for guys like Ollie on your roster, uh, Nick Martin, those kind of guys, like guys that need NIL stuff to stick around, who, who probably want to and love being Oklahoma State Cowboys, but, but you have to have enough money in that NIL budget that whenever an SEC school comes in and offers Ollie Gordon a million dollars to come play football next year, you can offer him something that makes it say, okay, I'm not getting as much money, but I love it here, and they're still taking care of me. I want to be an Oklahoma State Cowboy. He... He changed his tune. He recognized that whether he liked it or not, this is the modern era. And really, I, I think since since that game against Oklahoma State, he or against Iowa State, and they go into the bye week, he's just made every right decision. He has said every right thing. I never would have thought um, seven weeks ago, eight weeks ago, as we sat here, I never would have thought that I could have 
had my love for Mike Gundy be at an all-time high at the end of the 2023 season. <laughs> and, and that's where we are, and he deserves it because I just – I cannot say enough about how right he has gotten the last two months. Yeah, that's – it's been remarkable. And we have a Twitter question kind of related to that. But first, let's – uh do you want to do our picks before we get into Twitter questions or do those first? Uh, let's do picks, and then we'll go Twitter. You yep. want, you want first, you want me to? Uh, you go ahead. Uh, Oklahoma State's going to roll them. BYU's not very good. It's at home. It's the final home game of the season. Uh, Big 12 championship on the line. I think the crowd is going to just be all over BYU. Um, I don't think it's going to be bedlam atmosphere, but people are going to be cold. You're going to want to be standing up. You're going to want to be jumping around a little bit. I think it's going to be loud, and I think it's going to be a great atmosphere. I really hope that the slow starts doesn't happen again because that has been a little bit of a problem. Assuming that it doesn't, I think Oklahoma State runs away and hides from BYU. I'm going to call it 45-20 Oklahoma State. 45-20 Oklahoma yep. State rolling their way through. Um, I think we're we're pretty similar. There's two reasons that give me pause. One is what I've mentioned in the past about when you're playing in November and you know the stakes, you know what a win will earn you and you know what a loss will cost you things just get a little tight. Uh, you think back to the Iowa State game in Ames in 2011, uh, Bedlam 2013, and then you bring in the elements. It's going to be nasty on Saturday. I'm curious how effective Alan Bowman will be throwing in the elements. He had a hard time against UCF down in Orlando. Now, granted, that was a monsoon. I don't think they're expecting uh, a blizzard or anything close to that. But I, I think these little things are reason for pause for concern. But again, I, I listen to people locally, nationally, and Barry Trammell puts out his article, basically says OSU doesn't have a good offense or, or defense, but they're likely one of the best teams in the Big 12. And he bases that off efficiency. Well, tell me this, Colby. Is an offense efficient if it's scored since Big 12 play began? 27, 29, 39, 48, 45, 27, 3, 43, uh, that's pretty good offense. And if you're a defense that's given up, let's see, since Big 12 play started, 27, 21, 32, 34, 13, 24, 45, and 30. Uh, if you had those score lines given up on defense since Mike Gunny's been the coach at Oklahoma State, you're winning most of your games in the Big 12 <laughs> with the way these offenses are. Uh, so I, I still don't think Oklahoma State's getting the credit they deserve. They were fine against UCF without the turnovers. They were moving the ball just fine. I think their defense uh, played horrible in the first half, and it was too much to overcome. Same against Houston. Like, mistakes gave Houston some opportunities, and they flat-out dominate. they flat out dominated them in the second half. And here we are, coming to BYU. Everyone's like, oh, well, oh, she's not that good. I don't really want to see them in the Big 12 title game. Like, Oklahoma State's a really good football team. They're not perfect. Uh, if they turn it over, they can lose to anybody. That, but that goes with most teams in the country. And so while I am a little concerned about the elements and the big spot and what's on the line, I think Oklahoma State takes care of business. I think they win. When they're at home, Colby, I, 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 they've reached the point now where I expect them to score 40. So I'm going to go 42-24 Oklahoma State, and I think they win comfortably, and I think they punch their ticket to the Big 12 championship. And that would just narrowly be a cover. I, I will say 
In response to that Barry Trammell article, I understand what the metrics say about this Oklahoma State team. I think this is a team that you really can't judge based on metrics. A, metrics include September. That was fundamentally a different football team. The personnel was different. The coaching was different. We all know it. We've acknowledged it. Mike Gundy has acknowledged it. Different football team. Well, I I think he's using Big 12 play only on the efficiency rankings, but I could be wrong. And that's fine. And again, you have one weird outlier there that kind of skews the metrics. The UCF game, again, and and I don't think that enough is said and enough is talked about. People want to look at the numbers. Guys, these are kids that just played them. It was the most emotional day maybe of their lives the previous Saturday against (laughs) Oklahoma. And then you want them to come out and, and UCF is playing the their most exciting game of the season in their space uniforms. And they come out with all this energy and then the rain hits. I, I just don't think the metrics tell the story of this season. I, and here's a, a metaphor that I used yesterday with a buddy of mine. It's a golf metaphor. So if you don't get it, I understand. Try to stick with me. Um, stroke play versus match play, right? Football's match play. You just play the team against you. You get a win or you get a loss. O- Oklahoma State's season has been kind of like playing match play and you shot 90 but you shot 90 with a 12 on one hole and a 14 on another hole. So you lost those two holes, but you won the other 16 holes. If this was stroke play, we'd have a problem. This isn't stroke play, baby. This is match play. You go out every week and you play your opponent. Yeah, Oklahoma State has had two really bad weeks that skew all the metrics and make everything look completely disastrous. Uh, One of those in conference play. But every other week, they've been good. They've been good winning close games. Mike Gundy's made good coaching decisions in the fourth quarter. Oklahoma State has been really good in the second half of games on both sides of the ball, outplaying their opponents, making more key plays in more key moments, taking care of the football in fourth quarters of games, not getting stupid penalties. It's just Oklahoma State has been good late in these games, and I don't think the metrics are going to tell you the story that the eye test is going to tell you. No, I, I think that's totally right because while this defense has given up a ton of big plays, they're number one in fourth down defense. They stopped, you know, a few more last week. I mean, they they just make plays when it has to be made. And I think that goes for the offense too. Um, so we're on the same page there. Let's get to Twitter questions. Uh, this is an interesting one from Y-N-M underscore K-S-T-A. Don't know what the heck that means, but he says, Robert Allen on his radio show all but confirmed that Bowman will get his extra year. Do you think him, along with some other key players coming back, will make us the front runners for next year's Big 12 championship? I do. Uh, You get Allen Bowman back. You get Brennan Presley back on a COVID year, combined with all the young players, if Ollie Gordon comes back. I know I just said a lot of ifs. Um, Utah will certainly be up there with Cam Rising returning with what Kyle Winningham's built. I think those two would be the prohibitive favorites in the Big 12 next year. I I was going to throw Utah out there. I think they'll be one of the favorites. I think Kansas State will again be one of the favorites. They've really established some consistency under Chris Kleiman, and I think they'll be there. Uh, But those three, yeah, Oklahoma State, Kansas State, and Utah, I think will be mostly interchangeable. Uh, I had lunch with a buddy today. We were talking about Alan Bowman, and he maybe wasn't quite as high on him. I said, look, if Alan Bowman comes back next year, I will be thrilled for that. I, I think just another year where he's the guy, he, he can only get even better. And just the, the age, the maturity, and the consistency year to year, not having to, to get a new quarterback in because – What's next is really an unknown. Maybe Zane Flores is a stud. Maybe he's going to light it up and be the quarterback of the future. I don't know. Maybe Rangel sticks around, thinks he's that guy. I don't know. But I know what Bowman is, and I'm pretty happy 
with what Bowman is. And if you could pair him with Ollie starting out, you know, September one next year, instead of October one, I think that that would be great. Um, if Brennan decides to come back, obviously he and Bowman have a great rapport. Rashad Owens, I assume will be back again next year. Uh, won't have Leon Johnson, but Jaden Bray. I mean, I'm just rattling off names here. Nick Martin, hopefully he's back. That's a team that I would really like to watch. And I think it would be so great for the fan base to have year, year over year consistency with guys that they love and want to root for, because that just makes it so much easier as a fan. Um, it, it's one of the things that has kind of made me less of a college basketball fan lately, really until conference play starts. I mean, I was watching the OSU basketball game the other night and I'm like, who's that? Who's that? Who's that? Who's that? And I'm looking around and there's like, I'm like, Oh, there's John Michael, Wright, And that's like, okay, I, there's one. Oh, Bryce Thompson's out there somewhere. There's two, but I, I don't know these guys. I, I haven't fallen in love with these guys over years. And I think that that's what happened. What has happened this season with this Oklahoma state team is that the fans have really fallen in love with these guys. And I would love to see all of them back next year. Uh, that's, that's a bombshell, right? I don't I don't think anyone really expected Bowman, you know, he had a shot at it, but I don't think anyone was really counting on Alan Bowman coming back. And I think if you're Oklahoma State, you say, yeah, perfect, great. Uh, because, and I know that creates a bit of a log jam with some of the younger quarterbacks you've recruited, but Mike Gundy has one job, that's win football games. He has to do what's best for Oklahoma State. And, it, and what's best for Oklahoma State is their bottom line. Uh, cause we've, there's been so much talk over the last three years of what the football program does financially for your university. Uh, Alan Bowman will be 24 years old when the season kicks off next year. Let's just run it back, baby. Uh, old man, Whedon at quarterback 2.0. Uh, he's not Brandon Whedon, but you get my drift. Um, I, I think that would be a huge, huge thing that really shifts the power of the big 12. Cause let's face it, Colby, who, who would you expect to be the quarterback next year? Uh, Rangel? Uh, honestly, I would probably guess Flores as a redshirt freshman, just based on what he was as a recruit coming in and, and based on the limited sample size from Rangel, not being great. And the coaching staff seemingly not wanting to give him a lot of run in September this year. I would guess that Flores as a young guy that could maybe be a four-year starter, but I, I mean, that's a total guess. I have no inside information. Um, and we would definitely be having conversations next August if Bowman's not back about what this offense is going to look like and, and if whoever is the quarterback is the guy. And I would rather just have another season of Bowman and consistency and knowing what we're getting and try to go win a conference championship um, and, and be one of those teams in the top 10 at the end of the year. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, well, this is interesting. Uh, from John Laxative, <laughs> his at is – Soft stool 007. So thank you, John, with a picture of a, a chimpanzee sitting on the John. Uh, That's appropriate for hey, Thanksgiving week. We're, we're proud of all of our listeners, John Laxative. Thank you for your question. Theoretically, if in three weeks, Gundy says he's retiring, realistically and not just in a dream scenario, who would not only be a fit for the job, but who is somebody that would excite you if hired? I, I don't think that that's a bad question but I don't think I have a good answer. I, I would really have to look into it um, because earlier in the year we were doing, doing some of that stuff. And then I've totally shut that part of my brain down. I, I don't know who a good realistic hire would be. C certainly they wouldn't be paying yeah. seven I, million dollars, but I'll say this. I think there's this natural tendency to want to go hire someone with OSU ties. I think OSU has grown to a position where that's not a prerequisite, especially in football. Uh, as big of a conglomerate as that is, 
I think you go you go interview people and go hire the best guy. Um, I, I actually, to prepare for this question, I looked up an article from the Athletics, some of the top coordinators. Um, I think of Brian Hartline, the OC at Ohio State, young, hung. I want someone young and hungry. I will never forget when Oklahoma was a quagmire in the 90s. They hired a guy named Bob Stoops, and I was working for Bob Berry Jr. at the time at Channel 4, KFOR in Oklahoma City, and he's Van Shea Ivan worked at Channel 4 for years and years and years. Well, Val Jean Ivan, who's now on the, the football staff at OSU, was on the staff at Tennessee. I think he was a team doctor. He called BBJ and said, that's a bad hire for OSU, meaning Bob Stoops was a young, hungry, successful coach ready to win big. That's who Oklahoma State needs to hire. Who that is, I, I threw out Brian Hartline, someone along those lines, a young guy who's going to go get it. Now, I think a lot of people will point to Zach Robinson. I don't know if Zach wants to recruit 365 days a year after living the NFL life. I think it's tougher to go from NFL to college than vice versa. So that's that's where my head goes, Colby, with that question. Yeah, the name that popped into my head as you were talking was Zach Robinson, Then you tossed that out there at the end. Um I know if I was in the NFL, I wouldn't want to go back to college. It's just the demand to recruit constantly, NIL, compliance, just everything you have to deal with in college football. In the NFL, you just kind of coach. GM gives you the players, you coach. Um, I think Zach Robinson's got a pretty good gig, and I, I think in, I don't know, five years, we could see him being a hot young head coach in the NFL, and I think that's the trajectory he's on more than, than coming down and doing it at Oklahoma State. Now, if he wanted to do that, I think that he would be welcomed back with open arms. I think it would be a very popular hire, especially after some of the success that he's had as an assistant in the NFL. But I don't know that he would necessarily want to do that uh, whenever his star is shining pretty bright at that level and he's kind of climbing the ladder there. So, um, yeah, that's certainly not happening this season, but the, the day will come whenever Mike Gundy moves on. And, and when that day comes, I agree with you. Young, hungry is the way to go. Um, and I think Oklahoma State will do that. And, and again, you won't be paying a coach, a young, hungry coach coming in seven and a half million dollars. But Oklahoma State's a good enough program that if they went and hired a Brian Hartline, what, what do you think a, a starting salary would be in 2024 at Oklahoma State oh, for a head coach? Three million? So three, four million dollars. So, you know, approve it contract. And if he wins big, you. And, and I think this too is the point I wanted, the final point I wanted to make on it, Colby, is OSU is past the point of worrying about coaches leaving. You look at where they are now. They're one of the preeminent schools and programs in the Big 12. You you hire a Brian Hartline, you don't worry about Michigan or Ohio State coming calling. If they come calling, that means OSU's winning big, and that's what you care about. And if they if they sign them away, you go find the next guy. This is the problem Tulsa basketball got into. They got tired of Bill Self and Nolan Richardson and all their successful coaches leaving, so they started hiring guys they thought would stay. And now they stink and are an irrelevant basketball program. That's what you don't want. You just hire the best guy that you think will crush it and will work his tail off day and night. That's what Mike Gundy was when he started. He was young. He was hungry. Uh, he was known for staying up. He's, Mike loves to say he's up there at 3 a.m. all the time. I don't know if that's true anymore, but I do know he was doing that his first few years. And I'm sure he still does spend a lot of hours up there. But the point remains, young, hungry, willing to do whatever it takes.
Yeah, I know uh, at Rib Crib Monday night in Stillwater where they do the Oklahoma State Coaches Show, he said that whenever he got done, he was headed back up to the office to do some work. He talked about Thanksgiving week and how it's it's weird, and basically every year on Thanksgiving week, he ends up working um, into the night because you just you have to get the hours in and you want to spend time with family on Thursday. So, uh, yeah, a, a young, hungry guy coming in, three, four million. I think that's where Oklahoma State's at, and I couldn't agree more. If If a big program wants to hire your coach, it's because your coach is an absolute stud, and that means your program has been having a ton of success. And guess what? If your program has been having a ton of success, then you almost look look like you go from Mike Gundy to a young guy. He has a ton of success. Ohio State hires him. Do, do you turn into, like, this kingmaker school where you can keep getting the next hot young coach over and over again? And who cares if every two years they go to Ohio State? If for the two years that they're here, you're winning 10, 11, 12 games, sign me up. I've if, if it's a revolving door of elite coaches, I'm here for that. Um, yeah, it, it's consistency is uh, great. Winning is even better. Uh, one of my favorite questions we've gotten all year from Tyler Beats. What would September Carson and Colby ask November Carson and Colby about how the Pokes are eight and three? <laughs> oh, that's a good question. September Colby. I'm not sure if I know that guy. Um, I think we met once. I, I don't know. What what would September Carson ask November Carson? Uh, let's see here. I think September Carson would say, well, did did Mike do what I've been saying since this all the season started? Have they stopped? Have they played Alan Bowman and have they get handed the ball off to Ollie Gordon? Because I've been saying since 2022, the beginning of 2022, that Ollie Gordon was the best running back on the roster. I said it well before he blew up in the West Virginia game in the season finale in 2022. So I think September Carson Carson was still pretty prescient on what OSU needed to do to win. I'm not trying to give myself too much credit here, but I was saying those things. That's what happened, and that's why they're eight and three. Yeah, yeah, we definitely agreed going into the bye week that you needed to stick with Bowman and Ollie to get some consistency, and obviously that's been a huge smash. I will say with the benefit of hindsight – there are some things I could say, but if I truly just went back in my brain to September Colby, that was, man, I was in a dark place with Oklahoma State football. And if you would have told me at the end of September that Oklahoma State was going to be 8-3 and three and have a chance to go to the Big 12 championship game, I think the question that I probably would have asked November me is, did every opposing team's starting quarterback get hurt on the first play of the game? That is probably what September Colby me would have asked because that's about the only path I could have seen to this happening, which just further speaks to the turnaround. Yep, I I, I agree. I'm I'm glad I don't have to meet September Carson because he wasn't very happy either. Yeah, um, I don't know. September Colby. I don't even know what that guy was was talking about. That's a that's a different person. Uh, Johnny Tradish says, "Will you and Colby Powell be at the game? And also, what seniors do you expect to participate in Senior Day festivities? Love the content." Colby, you're always there, seemingly, but I will be there. I scored some tickets. Uh, I'm going to take my Sooner alum wife, Sydney. I'm going to show her how. I'm going to show her what a Big Twelve championship contender looks like. Uh, I don't think she's going to wear orange. I think she's committed to wear black. But I, I will be up there. Okay, black's good. That's at least uh, in the the color wheel of Oklahoma State. Yep, I'll be there. Always there. Section two fifteen. Several of our listeners sit in that section and always enjoy interacting with people. How many seniors are going to walk? So. I'm looking right here on, on PFB. There are 28 seniors on Oklahoma State's roster, um, but some of those guys could still be on the roster next season. Eligibility is a little hard to track 
right now. I mean, Alan Bowman's in his sixth season, and there's there's definitely some reason to believe that he's going to be back next year. And funny quote here from, from Mike Gundy. We used to have a really cool senior banquet where you honor the senior, seniors and spend a lot of time with them after the season. We don't do that anymore for them because we don't know who the seniors are. Uh, and that's a that's pretty much where you're at with that. So 28 seniors eligible. I would say let's just cut it in half. I'll say 14 of them walk and 14 don't. Yeah, I think that's I, – I kind of treat the seniors and who has eligibility kind of like the Big 12 tiebreakers. Like just – to quote my gunny, just give me another beer. Um, I'll I'll figure it out later. Uh, we'll figure it out once the results are <laughs> – once somebody tells us who's eligible and who's not. That's kind of where I'm at with it. But I, I, I do want to promote um, – I will be at the sports animal truck at 145 on Saturday. A little close to kickoff, but if you're near Eskimo Joe's, it's just right across the street. Uh, my wife and I will be over there. I'll do a segment with Gideon Hamilton and Robert Jones on the WWLS Sports Animal pregame show. So if you want to come over and say hello, uh, I'll be over there around that time. So I'm really looking forward to it. The last home game I was at was with my pops in uh, 2021 Bedlam. So we'll see if we can recreate the magic and see a team go go play for a Big 12 championship again. Yeah, maybe we'll make our way over to the sports animal truck. I have still not met your lovely new wife, so – uh, maybe Saturday's finally the time. Yeah, that'd be good. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll be up there and, uh, looking forward to it. Hope the weather's not as nasty as they're predicting, but we're still far enough away to where I think a lot can change on that. So, uh, good question here from Brian Metcalf, uh, Mr. DEA himself. He says who on the team are in position for first or second team, all big 12, and who can maybe get honorable mention. I think this is important to bring up because, we haven't had the Alex Groza, the Alex Groza, the Alex Hale Groza discussion. He leads the nation in field goals made with 24. Uh, I think he's certainly in the running for first team. Certainly all the the headliners. Uh, I think I think Bowman's probably lost out at this point to Dylan Gabriel. His numbers are his numbers are just too far ahead of his. But certainly Ollie Gordon, Brennan Presley. Uh, I think Rashad Owens making a case. Just to, it kind of depends, Colby, on how many guys they're willing to put on there. But you make the Big 12 championship game, you're going to have a bunch. Yeah, you will. And and there's a lot of guys on this team that should be recognized. Alex Hale is one of them. Like you said, has a chance to win the Groza. Uh, he's gotten a couple toasts of the week this year when, when things were going poorly and there was nobody else to give it to. I'm like, hey, at least we've got Alex Hale. Um, he's one that will get some recognition. Nicholas Martin, I would imagine, will have yep. some, some postseason awards coming his way. Um, I think Oklahoma State has a running back that has a chance to get some hardware at the end of the season. Colin so Oliver, maybe. Yeah, Oliver has a pass rusher. He, he's been an award winner in the past with the Big 12 Freshman of the Year a couple of years ago. Well-deserved, 11 sacks, I believe it was, on that season. So, um, I don't know. Brennan maybe has come on really strong. So, yeah, I think there's a handful of guys that could, could really have a chance to, um, to win some trophies. Yep, I think so, too. So, uh, let's see here. Any more questions to get to? Uh, why does Jaden Nixon get more rushes than Elijah Collins? I, I think Collins might be hurt. I haven't seen that confirmed anywhere, but he's really been phased out of the offense. And Nixon to me is kind of a mystery. I, I think he's better in the passing game and they, it doesn't look like they really know what they want to do with Jaden Nixon Colby. I know he spells Ollie for two, three carries a game, but it doesn't, it, it kind of appears they just kind of call the same plays for Ollie for him. And that's just not, they're just not the same player. Yeah, they're not the same back at all. I think Jaden Nixon would be much better uh, in space. I would like to see him, you know, Bowman puts his foot down and, and pre-snap. Nixon starts running toward the sideline and you get in the ball on the run toward the perimeter. I think that's where Jaden Nixon would be a little bit better. I think lining him up next, Alex, Alan Bowman in the shotgun, 
handing it to him and, and kind of running him into the line and, and hoping that he finds the hole and, and hits it and does those sort of things. I just, he and Ollie are very different backs. So when you just run the same plays, I think it's going to look like Jaden Nixon, like there's a huge drop off because there is, because I don't think that they're good at the same things. So if they're going to bring Jaden Nixon in to spell Ollie, I would like to see them do some more things to get him going toward the perimeter, because I think that that suits him much better than the middle of the field. Yep. I agree. So I think that'll, that'll do it for this week's uh, episode. Colby, I'm looking forward to being up there in Stillwater with you on Saturday. Yeah, no doubt. A lot of people traveling this weekend. Everyone be safe. Be careful. Uh, Remember tomorrow as you're having Thanksgiving with your families, these are people that you love. So uh, enjoy that. Have some fun conversations and everybody get Stillwater and back safely on Saturday and make a bunch of noise for the final home game of the season. Carson, great stuff as always. Thanks everyone for listening. Go Pokes!